You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. We're talking on the living word and focusing on the seed where God's word is likened to a seed that can never die, that lives, that has potential. And here I am in the middle of the service and here you are in the middle of the service and I'm sowing seed, good seed, seed that can change our lives and the power goes up and the soil is being compromised, right? Our minds can begin to wander, but to your credit, the soil of your heart was brilliant and we're able to finish the service and I trust that God's Word remained in your heart. We finished up doing a bit of grafting, a bit of spiritual horticulture. And uh, we grafted, and the Word of God talks about grafting and in uh, a fruit with fruit trees, grafting uh, speeds up and promotes quality and So we did a little grafting and we grafted uh, some peace into our lives. And also we grafted some joy. Now the process involved in doing that was that first we have to cut into our expectations of peace and joy. You know, what peace when everything goes right, that's when we have natural peace, but God's peace is not like that. And so we had to cut into that flesh. Then we had to take the wonder of God's word, God's seed, the fruit of the spirit. And then we grafted that into our lives to speed up and to allow in situations of life the peace of God. We did the same with joy, where normally joy is related to good things happening. You know, uh, buying things at half price, a, a car park that's available when, you know, we, we, no, there was no other one, whatever it is. But once again, we had to cut into the flesh and realize that God's joy is not dependent on that. It's different. And so as we cut in, And we took the joy of the Lord and grafted it into our lives. And then we bound it with God's word and with faith. And it should have worked. I have a testimony. During the week, last week on Tuesday, coming to work, I got a phone call from work to say that one of our workers, front count reception person, apparently had a stroke. His side of his face was numb. His arm was numb and the side of his body and his speech was slurred. So I had that information on the phone and the natural thinking is, how are we going to do? I hope it's not serious, you know. Obviously, he's not going to be at work for a while. I don't know how we're going to survive But instead of those thoughts dominating, I sensed a peace that all is well. And I even kind of rebuked myself to say, John, don't get too carried away here with your own messages. Okay? (laughs) 
And I'm thinking, no, no, I sense this peace. Come to work. The ambulance comes, uh, takes him to, of course, emergency. And uh, he came back that afternoon and worked the next day and the day after the peace of God. Not dependent on what we see or hear, but dependent upon that inner voice from our spirit, the peace that we grafted that tells us all is well. God is in control. The situation will be worked out. Also, I kind of felt a little odd the first week after I preached, and I thought... I seem to be too happy. <laughs> um, how would I put it? You know, as you get older, you don't know whether being sluggish and tired and all these things are a part of growing old or maybe, you know, that you're really not kind of where you should be. And, uh, you know, often life can be somewhat a drudgery and, you know, we struggle and, Things just don't go right. And, and yet I found during that week that I felt good. I felt a joy, a spring in my step. And I thought, I wonder what's going on. That This is unusual till I remembered. Grafting the joy of the Lord. I want to tell you it works. If it hasn't worked, that's all right. The graft hasn't taken. Maybe you haven't cut into the flesh enough. Maybe you haven't got rid of the expectation that joy is dependent on good things happening to you. Maybe you haven't dug deep enough to put the graft in that, that peace has nothing to do with the turmoil of life and the way things are happening. But it comes from God. And so I want to encourage you, and I just took a few moments because we didn't have the end of the sermon taped, and that's where we were at. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good that when your own preaching works for you, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's good. I want it to work for you. You know, my desire is that God's Word will bless you and enrich you, and, you know, you're going to love God's Word, and we're going to be looking at some of those things this morning. But when it works for you, for yourself... That's wonderful, and I thank and praise God for it. We're looking at Hebrews 4, 12. And I'm going to spend, I don't know how many messages on this particular verse. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We looked at the Word of God as living in the last message. This morning we're going to look at the Word of God as powerful. Some of your newer translations say active. Where the living Word can be activated, can act out all it promises, which is, of course, its power. And so this morning, I want to look at God's Word. The Word of God is powerful. 
It's living, alive, working powerfully in our lives. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23, talking about the power of God's word, he says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Peter recognized that the seed of God's word is not corruptible, not weak, not perishable. It's incorruptible and it lives and works forever. And then he goes on to talk about the fleeting uh, nature of uh, the physical world. And he continues in the next verse saying, but the word of the Lord endures forever, forever. We're looking at Hebrews and Hebrews' focus on God's word. And the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.3, and upholding all things by the word of his power. And so God's creation came into being by his word. And God upholds the creation, the order, nature, seasons. God controls that with his word. And then we have the spiritual world and the spiritual world is upheld by the power of God's word. The Bible that we have is the force behind the spiritual world. We have its power. We have its, we, 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 it's God upholding the spiritual world and the church today by the word of his Power. Now I'm looking, I'm going to look at five areas where God's word has power. And the first area I want to look at is that the, the look at the Bible's power to increase faith. The Bible's power to increase faith. I don't think there would be a single person here this morning that would not want their faith to be enlarged, to grow, to be increased. As God's people, we recognize that faith is the currency of heaven, currency of the spiritual world. And all that we enjoy in God comes through faith. And we have in, uh, we read in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. That's God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so we cannot please God. We cannot operate within the spiritual realm without faith. And God recognizes the importance of faith. And the Bible tells us that God gives to each one of us a measure of faith. And we're told that in Romans 12, 3, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, the particular terminology there does not suggest that one of you get more faith than me or than someone else. That's not what the scripture means here. The idea is that you have this supernatural container pot whatever of 
of faith, of faith, the ability to believe God, the ability to move in the supernatural. And then you have the picture of a, a ladle, a large scoop. And that scoop is placed within that supernatural faith and deposited within your life. Every one of us have a measure of faith. That doesn't mean we can't ask God for more faith, for it means an understanding of using and letting that faith that God has placed within our hearts to grow. And no one can say, look, I haven't got faith. I can't believe for that. For God's word says he has given you a measure, a measure, a ladle. As much as everyone else, it's up to you how you take it and use it. And God in his grace knows that we need help. We need help to keep that faith on fire, to operate in faith. And God in his goodness has given us this word and the Bible is, the, is God's way as we use it and read it to increase our faith. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Isn't that wonderful? You know, faith... Here, to let it grow, develop, is not out of anyone's reach. Every one of us have a Bible. Every one of us can read the Bible. And as we read God's Word, apart from many other wonderful things that are taking place in our life, faith is increasing. By the Word of God and the hearing of the Word of God. That's why we, we go to connect groups and we come to church to worship God and listen to God's Word. Because as we listen, faith develops, grows, strengthens within our lives. Because that is the power of God's Word to increase faith. His Word, this wonderful Bible we have, increases faith. The Apostle Paul uses the example of Abraham as the epitome of what faith is, his experience. And he's referred to as the father of all them that believe. And in Romans 4, Paul goes through all the areas of faith and, when, and he illustrates by the example of Abraham's faith in God's word what faith is. And it all began when Abraham heard the word of God. And we read in verse 21, And being fully convinced that what he had, uh, that what he had promised he was able to perform. See, it began with God's word. God came to Abraham and gave him a word that out of him there would be a great nation that would bless the world. That was God's word. And as he focused on God's word and believed God's word, we find that he looked at his hopeless situation and he realized that was of no consequence. Who, contrary to hope, in hope he believed and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. God gave him a word. 
his natural situation, condition, was not a factor in the power of God's Word. There were some apparent limitations. You know, procreation normally doesn't take place when someone's 199 years of age. But for Abraham, that wasn't even a consideration. You know, because of his focus, he's, he, he's holding on to God's word, who contrary to hope in hope he believed. And he embraced hope, God's promise. He did not waver in believing and trusting what God would do to fulfill his word. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But he rejoiced and he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. The wonder of God's word, apart from its stories and lessons and the devotion of reading God's word, is that every time we read it, faith is sharpened, faith grows. Sometimes we don't kind of see it, but it accumulates, and you'll see that you're able to use the wonderful faith that God has. You know, God couldn't have made it easier, could he? You know, God could have maybe, you know, wanted us to do all sorts of things to get faith. No, no, faith cometh by hearing and the word of God. That's what God said. That's what God's word said. Okay, secondly, I want to look at the Bible's power to change lives, to change lives. You know, trillions of dollars, and I'm stopping at trillions. I don't know what the next one is. Trillions of dollars are spent worldwide trying to make problem, difficult, bad people good without a lot of success. And yet as I look over the congregation this morning, I see the power of God's word to change lives. And in our Wednesday night study on the basics, uh, it was a joy to hear how a number of the people just allowed us into their experience of the wonderful change that God brought and faith brought to their lives. Every one of you have a story. Every one of you have a story of the transforming, changing power of God. And that story is wonderful and confirms what God's word says. And the apostle Paul uh, talking about the church, talking about which is composed of believers of us in Ephesians 5 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. By the word. What a wonderful picture we have here. That God's word, you know, it's almost like a spiritual bath. A spiritual shower that as we read God's word, faith grows. The power of faith grows. And that not only that, but there's a cleansing, there's a sanctifying. There's a work of God that's making us more like what God wants us to be. That's tremendous power. People spend so much money to, 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 to reform, to get better at things. When we, by reading God's word and allowing the word of God to work in our lives, 
experience its power. Then Paul goes on to say that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How wonderful. The Word of God changing, changing lives. You know, you cannot read God's Word without something happening. And we have a very interesting verse in, or a psalm, yeah, in Psalm 119, 25. This is what the psalmist said. It's, it's not David, it's Aleph. My soul clings to the dust. There's a part of us that kind of clings to earth, clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. What a wonderful truth that is that in this world that we live, it's, it's the dust. And when we come to the word of God, he revives us. He revives us. We need to come to a place where God's word is exciting and wonderful. God's word, I know, can, if you read some passages, almost be a drudgery. You know, you don't want to spend too much time in Leviticus, okay? Because Leviticus, all you need to say, thank God I'm not under that law, okay? But it's there, there are valuable lessons for us in Leviticus. But in Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm in the Bible, and it's in sections of the Hebrew alphabet. And, and, and I believe, and, I, and I, I want every one of you this week to spend time in that psalm because every verse alludes to the Word of God in some form. Statutes, testimonies, word, whatever, in some form. And it ties God's Word to our experience. And if you don't get excited about the Word of God, reading Psalm 119, I don't know what. I promise you that if you read that Psalm, there will be an excitement, there'll be a work of God, there'll be a thrill, there'll be a wonder about the power and the wonder of God's Word. So I want you to read that. Read it. And as you read it, apply it and think, yes, yes, yes. And by the time you get through it, you're going to be a man or a woman of faith. You're going to find change has taken place because the Word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful, the wonder of the Word of God. Thirdly, looking at God's Word, the Bible, looking, the Bible's power to heal, power to heal. You know, amazing things happen when you read God's Word. And Psalm 107, verse 20, another wonderful psalm to kind of spend time in, uh, says, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. The Word of God has healing. God sends His Word. You know, often just to follow the precepts and the teachings of the Word of God, that brings wholeness and health and well-being. And often as we read the Word of God, God can quicken things by His Spirit that will direct us and help us to believe and receive 
the healing power of God. There are times we need to follow what God wants us to do like, like Naaman. And Elisha told him to go and bathe seven times in the river Jordan. He didn't want to do that. It's a dirty river. He's got better rivers. But his, his servant convinced him to. And as he followed and obeyed the word of the Lord, which was the word of Elisha, but it was the word of the Lord, God brought healing to his body and he couldn't wait to go back and he wanted to give gifts and thank Elisha for the wonder of the healing but of course Elisha refused it was God who did it God's word promotes health and well-being uh, yeah. <clears throat> Isaiah 53 5 you know God's word reveals the the pathway to healing. Isaiah 53, 5 says, And by his stripes we are healed. You know, that, that verse just intrigues me because I, I haven't ever seen it really opened up in its fullness, but there's something about the stripes of Jesus that bring healing. I'm still looking into it and I still want to, but God gives us information. God tells us that... Uh, uh, when we come around the communion table every fortnight, that, that as we uh, take those emblems as we should, that part of the process of communion is receiving healing from God. And then, of course, the Bible tells us about the elders in the church to, to come with anointing oil and the prayer of faith will uh, heal the sick. And so we have directions. Uh, the Bible has power to heal. Fourthly, just going on quickly, I want to look at the Bible's power to liberate. To liberate, that's a good word, isn't it? Liberate, liberate. And uh, one of the great uh, liberating uh, verses in the Bible is found in John 8.32 and Jesus is the one that uh, brings this powerful verse. Uh, we read, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So the context is abiding, believing uh, the word of God. And then verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. What a tremendous liberating power truth is. As we read God's word, we come across truths that God's spirit quickens to our heart and those truths set us free. And the wonderful example we have in Scripture of Elijah and, you know, we don't compare ourselves to Elijah. He was a giant in God. And yet this remarkable man that God took in a fiery chariot home, he was despondent, he was in despair, he was depressed, he wanted to give it up, he wanted to die because Jezebel was after his life and his situation was totally hopeless to the point that he just wanted to lie down and die. You know, sometimes, you know, maybe not kind of to that extent, but we feel a bit like that, don't we? God, I really don't know what to do. I, I just want to see the end of it. I, I don't know if I can carry on living. And then the angel came and then he went 40 days and went into a cave and 
he had to once again begin to listen to the word of God, listen to God, listen to the evidences of God. And we, we have the earthquake and the wind. And then, of course, you had the fire. Then you had the still small voice. He tuned into the word of God. And God's word said, put him on his track again. He said, I'm the only prophet left. I'm the only one left. And, and God was able to say, look, really, uh, you don't know much. And God said to him, there are still 7,000 prophets in Israel that have not bowed their knee to Baal. He thought he was the only one. You see, the truth set him free. The truth. And so often in our situation, we're colored by tunnel vision. We, we only see a little bit of it. But as you read God's word, God's word can give you a revelation. God's word can show you what God knows about that situation. And the truth will set you free. What a remarkable experience that is. And many of us have enjoyed it, uh, enjoyed the wonder of it. Now, the last area I want to look at this morning is the Bible's power to overcome temptation. It's the Bible that can help us. Now, if you don't battle with temptation, I'd love to spend some time with you that you can tell me how you can be in that situation. Right? Temptation's just a part of Christian life. And, and Jesus, when he was tempted, he, he masterfully, Use the Word of God. Use the Word of God. God's Word gives us power over temptation and the devil. And the first temptation that Jesus experienced was the temptation of the senses. The devil said, look, make of these stones bread. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. Nothing wrong with eating. Nothing wrong with the desire to eat. But the devil wanted him to use power for physical needs that was not appropriate, to focus on the physical instead of the spiritual or what God would have him do. And uh, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, the devil in the second temptation got a bit smarter. Well, if Jesus is using the word, the devil uses the word too. And the de devil says that the, the next temptation is to glorify self, uh, uh, to go uh, uh, on the ledge of the temple high and let everyone see you and then just jump off and, and, and people will see the angels of God come and, and protect you and bring you to the ground and they'll worship you. Just do that. You scripture. There's scriptures to say, yeah, the angels will protect. And Jesus, of course, responded, this is a temptation to glorify self. And it has myriads of forms. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then the final temptation was the temptation to compromise twice now. And every time Jesus used scripture, that was the end. The temptation lost its power. He went on to another temptation, to another area. And the final one was the one of compromise. Took him on to a large mountain hill and showed him the kingdoms of the world. 
The devil knew that those kingdoms would become the kingdom of Christ. He knew the cross was ahead for Jesus. He knew that. Jesus knew that. And the devil said, just worship, bow before me, and I'll give you what I've robbed from humanity for 4,000 years. I'll give you what I took from Adam and Eve. The kingdoms of the world will be yours. Compromise. Easy way. Jesus came that the kingdoms of the world might become the kingdom of Christ. Kingdom of God. And the devil offered compromise. Look, I can make it easier. You don't really have to do it the way God wants. And Jesus, once again, took out from his arsenal the power of the word of God. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Each time, the word of God was the power to overcome temptation and the devil. And just as we bring the sermon to a close, you know, we have in Ephesians chapter 6. I want, to, I want you to turn, if you have your Bibles, or maybe if you're quick enough to put it up. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 17. Okay, this is Paul writing, and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How? Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, here's the armor, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The, the armour was, was, um, yeah, was uh, uh, defensive. The sword was for the offensive. And you know, when you look at that armour, it's all related to God's Word. It's all related. It's, it's just beautiful how it is. You know, waist girded with truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation. And this is all defensive and, and, and none of these are, are we able to have in their fullness without the word of God. And then he goes on and gives us the mighty offensive weapon. Not only are we protected from the fiery darts with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, but he's given us a means of attack. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
And how do you prepare yourself? The next verse says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Hebrews 4, 12, and the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper. Where we're finishing, we're going to take up in our next message, sharper than any two-edged sword. We've looked at the power of God's Word. It's, it's action. It's active. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.9, but the Word of God is not chained. There's nothing that can limit God's Word. If we take it, it doesn't matter where we are. As you look at the history of the church, as you look at the persecutions that have taken place, Paul out of prison, he says the word of God is not chained, is not bound. God's powerful word is open. It's open to every one of us to work and to enjoy and to live by. And in Acts chapter 19, we have this Wonderful verse. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's what God's word can do. It can grow mightily and prevail. Now I want to finish this morning by every one of us standing and we're going to put on the armor of God. Is that all right? I want to, I want to put on the armor of God. We should do this regularly. And I know we, you, you have and uh, you know you... I try to, you know, apply God's Word in, in some way that we're going to put on the armour of God. And uh, I want you to gird your waist with truth. Your life is based on truth. No matter what the devil wants to do, truth is around your waist. It holds your spiritual life together. Waist girded with truth. That I want you to take the breastplate of righteousness. That you're righteous, your sins are forgiven. There's no access into your life by temptation. Uh, the temptation can come and dwell there. You, you, you've got righteousness that the devil can, uh, can make inroads if you put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then you need to put on shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace we need to be serving God we, we, we serve we share we tell people about the wonderful gospel of peace and then we have the wonderful shield of faith the shield of faith that we take it's, it's so important in our protection from the fiery darts of the devil and then we put on, let's put on the helmet of salvation. I want to tell you I feel secure. I want to tell you that you're secure with the armour of God. That if those things are upon your life, upon your spirit, it doesn't matter what the devil sends your way, you have the protection of God that comes from the Word of God. But not only are you protected and you stand, but you have a sword, the sword of the Spirit, and you can use that sword for the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. We're more than victors.